Isaiah. And it's, it's right in the middle. We're looking, we've looked at chapters 40, 41, now we're looking at chapter 42. But it's kind of like God explaining, like, this is what I'm all about. And let me just give you just a real quick little bit of co- uh, context. The idea is that the people that were following God had just like, they'd kind of lost the plot. They had lost focus. They had lost like what it was all about. And God said like, if you guys don't get it together, we're going to, this whole promise of this nation and this utopia that, you know, we brought you out of Egypt, all that stuff is going to go away. I'm going to have to like have another nation come in kind of like, like just there's got to be consequences for not like kind of having it together. And, and he had some specific complaints that we'll get into, stuff that they were really doing that they shouldn't have been doing. Um, but, and then it happened. Then the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and you read all about this history, they came in and they took over and they hauled everybody out of their promised land, out of this land that God said, this is yours. I'm going to give this to you for eternity. And then there was this, like, this mess up, this hiccup, and he says, I've got to take you out because we've got to like, get you straightened out before you can go back. So we're, they're in this other land. And God is still speaking to them. And they're like, God, they don't understand what's going on. They're confused. And they're, they're struggling. Like, they've heard the message and God is trying to be direct, but they're still struggling. Like, God, a lot of the questions that they're asking are why questions. Now, remember, we, two weeks we talked about that. Like, when we're struggling, the thing that comes to mind are questions that begin with the word Why? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Like, why in the world? Like, all those kinds of questions. And we told you that we can't always answer those questions. As much as we would like to provide you specific answers, God doesn't do that. What God does, instead of giving you answers to the why questions, he points toward his character. He says, here's who I am, and and this is what you need to know. You need to know that I'm gracious, and that I'm loving, and that I'm kind. And the why questions don't go away, but I told you they get quieter. They're not screaming in your ear anymore. And they're still there. Why is this happening? Why is this going on? But because we trust the heart of God, they kind of, you know, they're, 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 they get quieter. And then we, so we talked about, like, you've got to point to God's character. Last week we talked about the fact that, like, we have to, we, we struggle with life. And we sometimes struggle with life is because of the fact that we think life should be easy. And God hasn't promised that it would be easy. Life is difficult. Life is hard. And we have to wrap our minds around that. So this week we're getting, a, I think, kind of like the final sort of uh, blow to these, these issues of suffering and struggling and, and wondering and why. I think what we're going to talk about today, at least for me, has been so helpful. Every week, you know, I know I spend a lot of time working on this, but every week this has really gotten deep into my psyche as I think about like my own life and then certainly think about others' lives, people who have it much more difficult than I do. So we're in Isaiah chapter 42. We're going to start in verse 1, and I'm going to see if you pick up on the same theme that I pick up on in this chapter. Uh, Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Here is my servant. This is God prophesying through Isaiah, through the author, to his people. Here is my servant whom I uphold, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 2. He will not shout or cry out. Or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Verse 4. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. Anything jumping out at you at all? I don't know. Maybe in yellow, in bold, all caps. Yeah, this word justice. 
So here are these people saying, why is this happening? God points to his character. God says, look, you can trust me even through this like we talked about last week. But we get to this point where God says, yes, but there will come a time when I bring justice. Now we like that. We like justice because we are highly sensitive to injustices in our lives, aren't we? We're highly sensitive to injustices. When your parents scooped slightly more ice cream in your sibling's bowl than you got, you're like, why, God? Do you love them more than you love me? What have I done that I don't deserve as much ice cream as they got? Or when you're on an airplane and the person next to you is hogging the armrest. I paid good money for this. It is, it is an injustice that I have to suffer that I cannot have some of the, the square inch of the armrest. Maybe a teacher gave your child a D. And sure, they didn't do the homework, and they failed the test. But you don't understand, teacher. My child was sad about that. This is an injustice. You made them cry because they failed your class. Maybe somebody scratched your car in a parking lot, and they didn't leave a note. Injustice. Injustice. And I think we think about this idea all the time, and I don't know that we put that word to it, but we think about fairness and rightness and justice, and when life hasn't been fair to us, it really bothers us. It gets under our skin. Maybe you see all your friends at a party on social media, and you're like, why, why didn't I get an invitation to that party? Injustice. Maybe, there's, maybe you're thinking about like the real serious major injustices. Maybe you think about the fact that, man, I hate the fact that I throw away food and other people are going hungry. That's an injustice. That's not fair. And it's not fair in my favor, unfortunately. Maybe you think about, like, you hear about these stories of guilty people getting off on a technicality, the court system. It's supposed to provide justice and there's injustice. Or somebody being incarcerated for 30 years before DNA finally exonerates them. It's such an injustice. Maybe you think about wonderful, kind, loving, deserving people who, who, who should be blessed and should have a long, full life, dying, young, uh, of some disease. That's unjust. That, that's not fair. It's not the way life should be. I want you to know something, though, and as we kind of, and this is the conclusion, this is the heart of what I'm going to talk about, but this idea that justice is the heart of God. Justice is the heart of God. And all those scenarios I just said, make you think like, well, is it really? Because if it were, wouldn't the world be a little different? Wouldn't things be more just, more fair? Now, the idea of justice being on God's mind, on God's heart, is all through the scripture. I mean, I sat down and I was like, all right, I want to find all the verses where God talks about bringing justice, establishing justice, about caring for people who need justice. And so I went through, I'm counting them up, and I get to like 700, and I think like, what am I going to do with this number? Am I going to, you know, show everybody every verse about injustice in the Bible? Yep, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to read all 700 verses this morning. Uh, plan on being here till tonight. No, I just want to show you a few. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19. This is when God's establishing the law with his people, and this is what he says. He says, Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the father, fatherless, and the widow. Then all the people shall say. I mean, everybody's got to agree with this. This is important. And he says this idea over and over and over again in the law. In the book of Isaiah, in the very beginning, the indictment on the people that have been carried off into captivity is this idea, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17. He goes, you guys need to learn to do right. You need to seek justice. You need to defend the oppressed. You need to take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Not please the case of the widow. James chapter 1 verse 27 is this idea. He doesn't use the word justice, but it's the same thing. Religion that, our, uh, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is one of justice. 
That's what God accepts. And this idea is from beginning to middle to end in Scripture that God's heart is about justice, especially for justice for those who are powerless and those who are weak and those who have no voice. God cares about the marginalized and the outcast and the outsider. God has a soft spot for people who are treated unjustly. He wants justice. This is God's heart. It's all over the Psalms, the prophets. It's all over the Gospels. Okay, cool. Justice. That's, what, what are we talking about exactly? That sounds great. We hear justice uh, as a term thrown around in our society a little bit, social justice, things like that. But what are, what are we talking about exactly? Because Jesus didn't come to earth so all kids would get an equal serving of ice cream from their parents, right? That's not why he came, to establish justice for children who need more dairy in their diet. That's not why he's here. I think what we need to understand is this basic idea that things are not the way they were meant to be. Things are not the way they are meant to be. Now that statement is mostly self-evident, right? Now you may be looking at a beautiful sunset over the ocean and you're like, ah, this is the life. This is the way things were meant to be. But if you just take a step back and you take in the world as a whole, you understand that the world is not the way it was meant to be. The, the things that happen in the world are not what God wants. You know, poverty and starvation and systematic injustice, that's not what God wanted. That's not the, you read headlines, right? Do you sometimes, anybody else ever do this where you start to read a headline and you're like, my heart just can't handle this. I can't read this. I can't read this headline, much less this article. It's so unfair. It's so unjust. I just can't take it in. There's so much injustice. I mean, we can pull out some headlines, but I think we, I I hope this is self-evident. I hope we get that. It's like the world is broken and we forgot to save the receipt. Like, what do we do? We live in this world that's unjust. We didn't buy the extended warranty and now we're stuck with this broken thing, this broken system, this broken society that highlights people who shouldn't be highlighted, promotes people that, that don't deserve to get all the attention, and it pushes down people who are good. I mean, this is an unjust world and I think we understand this. Maybe one way of putting this is like this world is kind of like a Pinterest fail. You know what I mean? Where you have an idea of what it's supposed to look like, but then you really try to make it and it's, it's not right. It's, in this case, it's kind of horrifying, actually. <laughs> the world is like that. Like, God has this idea. We have this ideal, the way things are supposed to be, and they're supposed to be perfect, and, you know, good people are supposed to, 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 to get blessed, and bad people are supposed to go to prison, but that's not the way the world is like. Like, things are not the way they are, were meant to be. Things are not the way they are meant to be, but justice You can go to that next slide. Justice is the process of making them right. Things are not the way they are meant to be, but justice is the process of making them right. And I think we want to talk about this specifically in two ways. That the idea that there is justice for us and there is justice from us. There is justice for us and there's justice from us. A lot of people look at the world and they conclude that there must not be a God. How can there be a God? How can God allow earthquakes and tsunamis? How can God allow all this injustice? How can God allow good people to get sick? How can God allow terrible people to live to be 110? How can this happen? There's no justice. C.S. Lewis, the smart guy that he was, he actually saw all the injustice in the world as evidence for God. How would it be evidence for God? He says, why would we assume things should be any other way unless there is a God? 
If there's no God, why would we assume things should be any different than the way that they are? Unless we have some idea that things are not the way that they were meant to be. That's evidence for God. You can look at the broken world around you and you can see evidence for God in injustice. I love that. I love that idea. Things are not the way they are meant to be, but there's justice for us. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 2 says this. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. Does anybody have any idea, just a little audience participation, where else besides Isaiah this passage, this particular passage is found in the Bible? The same exact quote. Anybody have any idea where else it's found in the Bible? Matthew 12, in the Gospels. Gold star, Gary. Matthew 12, in the Gospels, speaking of whom? Jesus. This servant that Isaiah speaks to, the author speaks to, is Jesus, the one who will come establish justice. God cares about justice so much that he sent Jesus to establish justice for us. In faithfulness, he will bring out justice. There is justice for us. Uh, Most of us know what it feels like to be overlooked, passed by, right? You know what that feels like? we're, We're not first picked. Uh, I was a very bad high school basketball player. And, and I don't say that. That's not false humility. Uh, I played basketball in high school, and uh, my stats prove how bad I was. I scored two points. Not like two points a game, two points a quarter, two points. That was it. And it was a total fluke. I wasn't looking at the basket. I just kind of threw it up, and it went in. Total fluke. That was my stat sheet for high school. So we had 11 players on our team, and guess which player was ranked number 11? Boom. I, I did not play basketball so much during games. I mean, I put my suit on and everything, but I did not play basketball so much that they would hand me the stat sheet so I could take stats for the people who were actually going to play. I was a glorified manager, essentially. But I loved it. I loved playing. I loved, I tried my hardest. I gave it the old college try. You could just imagine poor little Patrick. He's given it his all. He just is confused and doesn't know what's going on and gets all the plays wrong and is just always making mistakes. That's me, number 11 on my high school basketball team. Well, we got invited to this tournament. Big deal. We were going to get to fly to this tournament. It was overseas. It was exciting. Wow, we get to see this another, another country. There's all these teams. There's going to be these big crowds. It's going to be awesome. Our coach is telling us about it. We're all excited. Yeah, this is awesome. Hey, I don't get to play, but I get to experience this with my teammates, and this is going to be great. And after, my coach pulled me aside, and he's like, hey, Patrick, um, I got to tell you something. He goes, we're, we're going to this tournament, uh, but they're only allowing us to bring 10 players. And I was like, oh, so who are you leaving? No, I knew. I mean, I knew. That was, that, was, that was rough. I mean, I deserved to stay home, but that's still rough. Doesn't that hurt your heart a little bit? Just a little bit? Pulling the, the, the heartstrings? That's rough. It's rough to feel like you're overlooked or you're passed by. It's rough. It feels like, it, it feels, it's, it's a tough feeling. And I know sometimes people feel like that in life. Like, I'm suffering things. Other people are not suffering. And it is not fair. And, and I, I don't disagree. It is not fair. I'm dealing with things. I look at other people's, you know, situations and things for them are going great. Why isn't, it's not fair. It isn't fair. It's not just. So you're telling me there's justice for us? wait a second, that doesn't, seem, that doesn't seem right. I was at a high school um, choir concert in the last couple of weeks, and the choir all got up, and, you know, I'm sitting there, and they start off, and I'm like, they're not good. 
Like, something's wrong. What's, and then I was like, I isolate this voice. Oh, there's one kid that's not good. Oh, he's bad. He's not singing at the right times at all. What is going on? Like, this is crazy. And then I'm looking, I'm scanning the, the choir, and I, oh, then I find him. And he is off. He's not singing the right words at the right time or anything. And then I realize there's somebody standing right behind him, right behind him. And she looks like a, an adult. And she is tapping on his back the rhythm of the song. And then it hits me. Here's a, an autistic child who's part of the choir, and this choir put him right in the front row. And my, like, I went, for, I felt like such a dummy. But then I was like, I love that. I love that in so many other situations they would have said, hey, you know what, buddy, this isn't right for you. This isn't, you, you, you go, there's something else that you can do. Why don't you go be part of the, the special choir over there? This is the real, these are the real choir. These are the real kids. And they didn't do that. They put him on the front row. And he struggled. But you know what? The audience was like, they're with it. They're cheering him along. It was great. You know what? That is justice. It doesn't feel like justice. Wait a second. We're all like, it's justice to say somebody that is typically overlooked, somebody that is typically marginalized, somebody that is typically outcast, guess what? You get to be on the front row. You get to be in the limelight. That's justice. And there's so many examples. This is the heart of God. When God picks his, his varsity team, he goes deep on the bench. When God picks his, his choir, I mean, he's not picking people. He's picking the tone-deaf people, and you get to be on the front row. That's God's justice. God does not overlook you. This idea, and I wish I could just, just rip out every verse that this is in the Gospels and show you because this idea is all over the Gospels where God stops everything through Jesus. God stops everything to highlight someone that gets overlooked. He stopped a parade when everybody was saying Hosanna to heal uh, the blind man on the side of the road and had him join the parade. But I want you to see one passage in Luke chapter 7. That just, just Luke really highlights all these examples of, uh, of people who are typically marginalized and get focused on by Jesus. But Luke chapter 7 verse 36. This is when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now you probably already know this but the, the Pharisees are like the varsity team of religious people. They have got it figured out. They know all the plays, and they don't have patience for anybody else who is messing things up. They have got it all together. And if you came into their house, I would imagine it would feel a little tense because you wanted to make sure you washed your hands right. You wanted to make sure you did all the, the different things right so they wouldn't look down on you and they wouldn't judge you. And that must have been how it felt going into these houses. And Jesus accepts this invitation from a Pharisee. And he's sitting at this, this table. He's reclined at the table. And it says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. And Luke's including this for a reason. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with a jar of alabaster, uh, with, a, with an alabaster jar of perfume, verse 38. As she stood behind him and his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. This is a strange scene. It's an anointing. It's something that culturally, we just, it's, it's not there for us. And so we're like, that seems awkward. But you know what was awkward in this scene? Is the fact that there was a sinful woman. That wasn't just like a description. That was a label that she had been given by society. You are a sinner. Not in that like, yeah, we all sin. Everybody sins, you know, whatever. No, you are a sinner. We are not sinners. Sometimes we make mistakes, but you are a sinner. This sinful woman. And so everybody in the room, like they see her come in. First of all, that's scandalous enough. 
And then she goes over to Jesus and she starts like pouring out this expensive perfume and, and, and anointing his feet. And of course, there's these cultural things that we don't understand there. But the scandal was, Jesus, do you know who this woman is? If you knew who this woman was and you were a righteous person, you wouldn't let her within a mile of you. Everybody's like shocked. And Jesus is just letting this happen. He's letting this sinful woman, this woman who has messed up her own life, this woman who was not on the front row of the choir, this woman who did not get picked first in the baseball games, he's letting this woman wash his feet. And it says, the Pharisee says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man really were of God, if he really were a prophet, if he really were righteous, he would know who is touching him. And he would know what kind of woman that she is, that she is a sinner. He would know that. And the, the, the text goes on to say, hey, I got something to tell you, Jesus says, but I want you to see what Jesus does. This is Mark 14, verse 8, a parallel account of this passage. Jesus makes this claim. He says, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached in all the world, she gets a front row seat. She gets to be highlighted. She gets to be put in the spotlight. This person that you marginalized, that you wanted kicked out, that you wanted at best maybe on the back row behind all the tall people, we're putting her in the limelight. Wherever the gospel is preached, the sinful woman who had made her own mistakes to bring her to this point, the sinful woman gets a highlight reel in the gospels. That's pretty amazing. That's the kind of heart that God has for us. Do you think you've messed up your life? Well, guess what? I got good news for you. God wants you on his varsity team. Do you think you've done things that are so bad that God would be like, no, there's just no way. Maybe you can come in, but you need to stay at the back of the room. I don't really want anybody to know that I let you in because I don't want them thinking I don't have any standards. God says, no, no, no. You are on stage. You are in the front row of the choir. That's God's justice. And that story, that is over and over and over again in the Gospels. That's good news, right? That's good news for me. Because when I think about my mistakes and my sins and my failings, it's easy to just let that just weigh on me and think that how could God love me? How could God care? And God not only loves and cares, God plucks us up and gives us the spotlight. That's God's justice. There is justice for us. Secondly, though, secondly, there is, and this is just as important, there's justice from us. Not only if we've messed up, there's hope. If we're passed over, God notices. If life has treated us unfairly, God cares. If you've totally wrecked your life, God is there to fix it. We're not overlooked. We're not abandoned. We're not a lost cause. There's justice for us, but there's justice from us as well. Isaiah 42, 4 goes on. It's not on the screen, but he goes on to say, He will not falter. This is Jesus. He will not falter or be discouraged. Why would he be discouraged establishing justice? Because it's a slow process. Till he establishes justice on the earth and in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And that's his way of saying even the far corners of the earth will put their hope in Jesus' teaching. Not too long ago, um, uh, one of my daughters, shall remain nameless, was kind of complaining, you know, just typical, not bad, just normal life stuff, just complaining like, you know, something wasn't fair, right? Something wasn't fair. She didn't get as much ice cream. Everybody's looking at my daughters like, uh, which one was it? Uh, she didn't get enough ice cream or it was, you know, somebody got something. You know, it, it wasn't fair. But it wasn't like serious, like, you know, why, why God? It was just that typical complaining. So this one daughter happened to be laying across a bench in her house, just laying down. Life's not fair. Life's not fair. And the other daughter walked across the room and bent over and got in her face and said, said these words. Jesus died on the cross. Do you think that was fair? 
That's like, that's like for church kids, that's a mic drop. Boom, I'm out. The, uh, the, 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 she was being lighthearted to, you know, hey, pointing out life's not always fair. But that is a good point. Jesus came to establish justice, yet suffered the gravest of all injustices, being put to death for sins he did not commit. Jesus came to establish justice, but suffered the gravest of injustices. Now, this is fascinating to me. There's an interesting dynamic here. This is pretty cool. So I want you to think about this. Jesus established justice by absorbing injustice. Jesus established justice by absorbing injustice. Now, just think about, like, all the injustices in our life, right? All the ways we've been treated poorly and unfairly and all the bad things that have happened. What would Jesus say to people who had suffered injustices? What would he say? I mean, one, he would say justice is coming, but somebody suffering a personal injustice here on this earth. Let's just say, let's just imagine hypothetically that someone had been forced to walk a mile. What would Jesus say to that person suffering that injustice? He would say, absorb that injustice and go further. What would Jesus say to someone who had uh, been slapped on the cheek? He would say, absorb that injustice and go further. What would Jesus say to someone who had been insulted? He would say, absorb that injustice and bless that person. Absorb the injustice, personal injustice, in order to establish justice. This is really interesting to me, and I think this is something Christians really struggle with because we get to verses like this, and as simple as they are, we have a tough time really living them out. Absorb personal injustices in order to establish justices. Somebody threw a rock at me, I'm picking up a bigger rock and throwing it back. But Jesus says, no, 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 take the rock out of play. Somebody throws a rock at you and tell them, hey, good arm. You got a nice throw, man. <laughs> Absorb the personal injustice. Remove the injustice from the world so that it's gone. Now, but they're going to just throw another rock. Okay, then do it again and again and again. Absorb the personal injustices in order to establish God's justice in the world. This is the kingdom of God. And it is inch by inch and it is slow, but it is advancing when Jesus' followers absorbed small personal injustices. Not, we don't have to stand by if somebody's throwing rocks at somebody else, but for ourselves, somebody slaps us on the cheek, we turn the other cheek. Somebody asks us to go a, a mile, we go two miles. Somebody says, hey, give me your, your coat. Well, let's give them our cloak as well. Jesus came to establish justice by telling people, you need to take that injustice out of the system. You need to remove it from the world. Somebody treats you that way, you just need to take it right out. Oh, this is amazing to me. This is amazing to me. This is the kingdom of God. Justice, listen, folks. Justice is an act of a rebellion against the way things are. They were not meant to be that way. And Christians get the task of slowly but surely reestablishing things the way they were meant to be. Is it going to be perfect? No. We are on the forefront of this battle, and we are taking shots on every side. But slowly but surely, justice will be established in the earth through Jesus because of us. So instead of reacting with the status quo, instead of throwing the rock back, instead of throwing the insult back, we act like the way things should be. Not the way things are, but the way things should be. That's the power that we have through Jesus, is to act like the way things should be. 
I want to read this as I wrap up this morning. It's an open letter. It's from a young father, and uh, his wife was killed by a terrorist attack in Paris. And um, he had a couple of days to process. Young father with a 17-month-old son, a couple days to process. And then he posted this on Facebook. This is a translation from the French. And I just, just want you to hear it. <laughs> this is what he says. Friday night, you stole the life of an exceptional person, the love of my life, the mother of my son. But listen to this. Listen to this. I'm going to pause for a second so you hear this. You stole the mother of my son, but you will not have my hatred. If we are made in God's image, then each bullet in my wife's body would have been a wound in his heart. Therefore, I will not give you the gift of hating you, though you have so obviously sought it. You want me to be afraid. You want me to cast a suspicious eye on my fellow citizens, to sacrifice my freedom for security. There are two of us now, my son and I, but we are more powerful than all the armies in the world. I don't have time for you because I have to get back to my son who is waking up from his nap. He's 17 months old and he'll be going back to eating his snack every day just like he always does. Then we're going to the park to play every day just like we always do. And every day of his life, this little boy will be in defiance of your hate because he will be happy and free. You will not have his hatred either. That's justice. Slowly but surely making progress forward in the hearts of people. That's what God has called us to. That's what following Jesus is all about. And that's something we Christians really have a tough time doing. Absorb, well, you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. I don't suppose I need to, right? Not if I'm following Jesus. So here's the question. Do we truly trust the heart of God? Do we truly trust the heart of God? Do we know that there is justice for us? Do we know that God expects justice from us? Can we absorb these personal injustices in order to bring Christ's vision for his kingdom to the world? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful uh, to be able to, to, to come together and think about these ideas that are, are so basic to our faith, but all at the same time feel so radical. God, I know you're going to give us opportunities this week to, to face personal injustices, large and small, Lord, and they are unfair, and we acknowledge that, and we know that you care about fairness, but I pray that you would give us the strength, the, the courage, the fortitude to respond to those injustices with love and grace and blessing, and to not be overcome by hate, but to be overcome evil with good. God, we, pr we thank you for the example of Christ who absorbed the ultimate injustice in order to save us from, from our sins, Lord. Nothing that we did, nothing we could say, nothing we could think could ever qualify us for that. But God, you've picked us out of our own problems and our own sin, and you've placed us on the front row. We thank you so much for that, God. We thank you for your justice, and we pray that we as followers of Jesus would be able to live justly today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.